Uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm joined today by Angela Lewis-Wright. She is uh, interim leader of the uh, Freedom Alliance, uh, one of the new political parties uh, that emerged in response to the uh, complete acceptance by all established parties of the COVID lockdown policy of the elimination of all of our uh, God-given inalienable rights and uh, essentially a form of medical tyranny. It was imposed, everyone, left, right, right left, right, Labour, uh, Conservative, Liberal Democrats, Liberal Democrats, really, um, uh, SNP, Plaid Cymru, every major political party in the UK bought the same narrative. We had uh, a political system where the government was imposing an absolutely unheralded uh, tyranny upon the whole nation. And Her Majesty's opposition, their only comment was, you're not doing enough. We've got to lock them down harder. Um, and into this complete vacuum of having any sort of political representation for anyone who was maintaining a pro-freedom position, uh, stepped several small parties, including uh, and perhaps principally the Freedom Alliance. Um, and they stood for, for election and local elections all around the country. And uh, we have interviewed people from the Fre Freedom Alliance in the past. Um, so um, I'm, I would like to welcome Angela here uh, to explore what's new and uh, what the current situation is in the, in, in the Freedom Alliance. And also to explore today, I think, some of the difficulties uh, presenting anyone who's going into uh, the political sphere and trying to create something from the ground up without any um, ideological or historical background. Uh, this must present many problems. Uh, Angela, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. I'd like to, I'd like to start, if I can, just with your sort of personal story of what made you stand up and say, well, actually, yes, I'm, I'm going to get involved politically and I'm going to get involved politically opposing well, I'm assuming it was the lockdown for you that was that was the thing that spurred you into this. Is, is that correct? Absolutely right. It was at that time. Um, for me particularly, I came to Freedom Alliance via UK Citizen. Um, and it was at a time when I, I was feeling really isolated. And uh, my husband is a public servant. And I was coming home from my mother's funeral. And he my mother, whom I hadn't been able to see very much during just after the lockdown. And he informed me that he was going to go and be vaccinated. And my, I actually pulled the car over on the, on the M1 because I thought we've talked about this. I, have, I am a trained nurse and I also worked as a pharmaceutical sales rep for Pfizer. And I knew in my heart of hearts that there were difficulties with bringing something to market so quickly. And that was, it really just filled me with horror. And in the 30, almost 40 years I've known him, he has never ever been to the doctor's surgery once. So that just rang major alarm bells. And, and, and that was when I decided I have nothing, nothing to lose by, being quiet. And that was how I found uh, Freedom Alliance through the connection with UK Citizen. Yeah, uh, one of the things that we were reporting on is the, was obviously the censorship. In fact, we experienced the censorship. We, we were thrown off YouTube for reporting on a vaccine injury uh, case. And uh, the, the report was entirely factual, entirely accurate, but that didn't matter. Accuracy didn't matter. Accuracy ceased to be the the the, the yardstick. Um, it was compliance with the narrative. That's all that mattered, and this was extremely troubling. the The fact that there was no political voice, um, or journalistic voice, mainstream journalistic voice, um, question questioning any of this. The, the safe and effective narrative, like how safe, how effective? Well, we now know the answer. Uh, not safe and ineffective is, is actually the truth of the matter. We were told uh, we had to hold mask mandate and the population was largely compliant. 
I was surprised by that. I thought we had more about us. Um, sometimes uh, kind of almost violently compliant, you know, they would try to impose these restrictions on others and object quite loudly to those who didn't, who didn't comply. Um, the fact that there was no contra-narrative, no other voices going out there, apart from outliers like UK Column and, 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 and the Freedom Movement, which grew from a tiny start steadily through the pandemic, and we went to a march in London with more than half a million people near the end of this process. So it certainly grew very large. Um, but it was silenced from the mainstream. There was no reporting on it in the mainstream. Um, this obviously presented you with, um, I mean, you obviously, you'd obviously got from your previous knowledge and experience that there was a problem here. Um, how did you go about then communicating that? You know, just on, on the subject of the lockdown of the COVID crisis before we broaden it out, um, how did you go about communicating the problems, the concerns, and uh, what sort of reaction did you get from the public? Uh, I was not very popular, and uh, in my family and small well circle of friends, it was a little bit like, oh, here she comes again, the harbinger of doom. But I, I, I really... Uh, took every opportunity that I could to really share my concerns. And it wasn't until I started speaking locally at the gym and various places that I found that there were other people who felt like me, that they really were concerned. And under no circumstances were they ever going to comply because they, they, they also realized that something was dreadfully wrong. So it wasn't until I started speaking out and then having joined Freedom Alliance and standing for election, then I, I, I was able to, to take a much more active role in terms of speaking to the public and going out and um, handing leaflets out and, and actually talking to people and asking, him, asking them what do they know, what do they believe. And it, it was then that it, it became apparent that a lot of people did have the same questions and they were concerned and they were looking for a voice. They were looking for somewhere where they could share those concerns. And that's where I found um, UK Citizen really helpful and also joining Freedom Alliance. The response, the public response to opposing this could be highly entertaining. Um, I, I had a couple of run-ins, one with, a, one with a, uh, a shop assistant who took great exception to me not being frightened and not following the, all the various diktats, which were minute and detailed. Um, and there was one other chap who, again, I was walking around the shop and I was unmasked, and he took exception to this, and he was another customer. And uh, I think the only thing that stopped me getting punched is that he had to obey the two metre rule and his arms were less long than two metres, otherwise I'm sure he'd have swung for me. Uh, he was very angry that I was literally killing people. So such was the, the level of hysteria. Um, your point about when you meet other people who have doubts, it's like coming home. It's like, oh, I'm not the only one. It's something we've heard a lot. And on, on these sort of marches, large and small, I think a big part of what they were about was allowing people to come together and just, because they might be the only one in their extended family circle who are, who, who's, who's willing to stand against the narrative. And it's very isolating. And then they would go to one of these marches and there'd be thousands and thousands of other people who had had the same story. And they realised, hey, I'm not alone. You know, this, is, this was very important. I think the marches were more about what they did for the people on the march and what they did for those watching because of course they weren't reported on either. Um, I, I want to get next to the difficulties in in establishing a political party because I, I noticed in your literature it started off this this was a you, you, the Freedom Alliance was about the political response to lockdown um, and it became um, from we oppose lockdown 
to we are the political wing of the freedom movement. So this is not entirely the same thing. And there can be a lot of difficulty going from one to the other because I've, I've seen single issue campaigns work very well. And the thing about a single issue campaign is it's a single issue. So you get people who have got all sorts of disparate, varied, often absolutely opposing political views and they'll come together for, for the one issue. Because whatever, they, whatever they're basing it on, whatever they believe, they believe in something and they can see that the single issue is, is something that has to be fought. And that can work really well. In fact, the whole kind of uh, diversity of ideas part of that can be really positive in opposing a single issue. But when you try to establish that as something bigger, as, as you're now doing, I, I think that's very challenging because the conflicts and the, the contradictions in the support will become apparent. So as you've moved from being the party who opposes lockdown to the party that represents the entire freedom movement, that presumably you've had to define and understand what the freedom movement is. Maybe I could ask you about that. What, what is the freedom movement and how do you represent it politically? I think like everything else, the freedom movement is made up of individuals with diverse priorities. But notwithstanding, I think what we're now facing in terms of a, um, a global technocracy and uh, a lot of threats to our sovereignty. It's a, it's a much broader issue. So I think single, single issues uh, will remain important should they arise again. And I, and I think we need to be on the lookout for that. However, I think what we're now facing is something much, much wider with various arms to it and various levels and various aspects. And I think freedom is now, is now all embracing. It's not just about focusing on one aspect of what's happening or, or the threats to our lives and our existence. It's much, much broader. And we're, we're, we're dealing with various issues in terms of, um, and I'm thinking now, an example throughout the lockdown, uh, I think what was happening was we were having an enormous number of 5G masts being erected. Um, but where was the consultation about that? Uh, I tried to get around the area that I live in and I couldn't because we now have um, traffic control methods. When was the discussion about that? Where, 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 where was the public consultation? And that was one of the things that kept coming up when I did stand for election, was people were saying, we didn't ask for this. How comes it's happened? We, we were not included in the decision-making. And I think that, that that's the issue that we're now having to deal with. Um, vaccine passports, there's, there's something, it's as if you wake up most days and you know that there is something that's going to be an issue that needs to be addressed. The online safety bill, um, CBDCs, things are happening all the time. So we, 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 we cannot afford to take our foot off the metal and because we have a fair level of, not certainty, but, 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 but things are on a fairly even keel, we don't want to be lulled into a sense of false security. And I think that's, that's been the danger and, and partly one of the reasons why we are here now where we are, because we have listened to political leaders who have taken their orders from unelected leaders. I, I don't remember, well, I, I I'm not a major voter, or I haven't been up until now, even though my mother was a local councillor. But one of the things that she said and left me with was that she didn't care about towing the party line. If it was the wrong thing for the constituents, then she did not care about crossing the floor or doing whatever needed to be done, as long as her constituents were being fairly represented. 
So that's something that I haven't seen. That's something that doesn't seem to be apparent. So we have a lot of issues that we need to be focused on and we cannot afford to, to be lulled into a sense of false security. Yeah, and I understand that. That's, that's a good point. Essentially what you're saying is that the attack on freedom has become so wide that, that the fact that you started on one particularly egregious aspect of that and are now tackling you know, a dozen or more has essentially broadened out the party's focus to something that's much more kind of across the uh, across the policy spectrum, because that does take you into, takes you into planning law, takes you into transport, um, obviously um, healthcare, um, and 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 all the and all the rest of it. So yeah, essentially everything that a local authority would would be doing. Um, one of the one of the difficulties, obviously, with it for any small party is is getting across the dividing line to get elected. Um, now, it's a little bit easier in Scotland because they've introduced a, a proportional representation system into the Holyrood Parliament that, that rather favours um, smaller parties, but they get to a certain threshold. Um, they can get some seats where they would never have a chance in a first-past-the-post system. That's why we've got, I'm sorry to say, the Green Party. Um, actually having a share of power in Holyrood. Now, it's a very extreme party, but it represents a, a particular um, quasi-religious view uh, within the political spectrum, and it picks up a, enough support from the far-left elements that it, and, and the people who are persuaded by the green agenda, the, 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 the climate crisis um, viewpoint. Uh, that they get elected. But it also means that there are opportunities for other parties. Um, if they get to a certain threshold, they, they will start to get one or two uh, one or two seats. And in a 120-seat parliament, that's actually quite a reasonable voice. And you can get something, uh, you can get a view that's, that's, that's very much not of the mainstream potentially represented. So there's a few parties going after that particular prize in Scotland. Uh, in in England, south of the border, do you have anything similar, or are you always faced with a first past the post system of of, uh, of election? I believe that is a, is the case. Um, however, I really I think there are several roads to the same end, and as long as 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 long as we're clear about what it is we're focusing on, I I, I don't see that there is a major challenge. To date, we've, um, uh, to date we have stood 250 candidates in elections. I'm hoping that the tide has turned and we are now, because we now have a lot of evidence regarding the issues that concern us, that, are, that they're in the public domain, whether mainstream media wants to acknowledge them or not, or whether the government tries to back them away, or the MHRA continues on its new role, having torn up the rule book, these issues are now substantially evidenced. So what, what we do hope is to demystify the whole issue of politics and to encourage people to vote, to join us and, and, and to come out and use their vote. And if that then means that we're in a, in a better position to, to have our voices heard and represent the people who, who are willing to stand up and join us, then that will be the purpose of our existence. Does that imply that you're looking to find a voice for people but not necessarily actually get um, elected representation? Uh, or, or is it simply to say that it's a long process and electoral representation will come along if you're su successful in, in communicating the idea? I, I am reminded at this point that Winston Churchill used to have a seat in Dundee and um, he was challenged um, there back in the 30s, I guess, 20s, 30s by a temperance candidate um, who got a derisory small vote and came back the next election and got several hundred and came back the next election and got several thousand and came back the next election and beat him. 
um, and Winston lost his seat to a temperance candidate. So it, it does illustrate that, that when the public mood moves in certain ways, that even you know, very established political figures can be, um, can be thrown out by um, the, the upcoming new idea. Um, so, I, I, do, you, do you see the future as a kind of long process to get to political representation, or is it much more about the immediate finding a voice, finding community, finding a way to say, look, there's another narrative here that needs to be that needs to be put out there, and we're going to put that narrative out there, kind of in the view that you're going to influence the broader society rather than uh, get a uh, get a, a hold on any seats or anything anything like that it's it's a long haul isn't it uh currently i think we do we do need to focus on getting those voices heard and in the long run it, we, we still need to keep our eye on on um much more central building something new i i think what we have right now is something that's very corrupt and quite fraudulent um i i, I don't have any immediate ideas as to how we have to say how we break that down but i do see I, I do see some major changes need to be made in the long term and the medium the the, the, the first point is to actually get people involved and motivated to start, start determining what it is they want. How do they want things to develop? What kind of future do they want to leave for their children and grandchildren? Sitting at home, complaining about it, being mild, meekly compliant is going to get you the same results that you've always had. So you have to do something. And this is the start of doing that thing, whatever it is and wherever it takes us. I see one of one of your key principles is open debate. Um, yes. Now, um, this is interesting. I went along to I've been along to some SNP type events and Yes movement events in Scotland. Now, this is not my political home by any stretch of the imagination, but I've gone along with some questions, really to see what the reaction has been. Um, one of the questions was, I was at, at an event where the people there were being briefed on how to sell the message. In this case, the message that we're going to win the next independence referendum. It was many years ago and it didn't happen. But they thought at the time it was on, they were on the cusp. And essentially, the reading of it was the Labour Party had collapsed in Scotland. All we had to do is rerun the 2014 uh, referendum and the yes side would now win by default. That, that was the view. So we're going to win. And it was all about tactics, tactics, tactics. And I raised the question, well, look, you've got to do something with this once you get, once you get there. If we have, if the people in this room have questions about what the policies are, you're telling us to go out and sell the policies. Where do the policies come from? And if we've got questions about them, how do we influence that discussion? And nobody knew. Right? The, the top table, they, they didn't have a clue. They had these policies come down from on high, and even they didn't know how they'd originated, where they'd originated, or how to get any influence on it at all. So you're talking about open debate, and amen to that. Um, could you explain a little bit about how, how that's working or how you see it working You're in your party? How do you, how do you get open debate given the fact that most political parties I've seen are allergic to open debate. I mean, certainly the SNP are. Um, they, don't, they don't like ideas being discussed. They don't like people rocking the boat. They don't like people saying, actually, I don't think that's a very good idea. I think we should do something else. That, that doesn't tend to go down very well because the leadership dictates and, and, the, and the party membership are meant to nod. That's, that's this culture, unfortunately, that we've got. How do you go about changing that? A very interesting question, David. In terms of open debate, I, I have to say, since I've been involved with Freedom Alliance, uh, debate felt to me to be quite inclusive, that there, there, there wasn't a, 
um, and that was one of the things that I actually quite liked about Freedom Alliance, that ideas were encouraged and ways of um, achieving them were discussed. Now, we may not always agree 100%, we're not perfect, but it wasn't about a script or about a journey that had to be undertaken because we had a career at the end of it. We, we, we weren't striving to get somewhere by any means necessary. It was about doing what was right for the membership and what people wanted, the, the direction that um, we found would be helpful for the party. And so that, that for me is something that's still very important. And um, we are actually looking currently at the moment, looking at the, our manifesto. And that's something that those of us in the executive leadership team um, are actually taking quite seriously and, and pulling together the, the, the ideas and the views that we would like to put to the membership for debate and also taking on board their concerns because that, that I, I think it communication happens both ways and yes we have you know we do we do have people with their specific concerns and saying you know, well what is the what is the party policy on this what's the principle around this what's the manifesto saying and that's something that is constantly evolving and something that we're working on so I believe everything is open for debate. Can I delve into that a little bit more? Um, the uh, One of the things which I've found as I've kind of put forward my own views at times, um, and I'm getting, obviously we've got an extremely diverse politically and in every other way, um, uh, viewership, readership. So we get a lot of feedback. The feedback's fascinating. And uh, so you get um, you, you get all these all these disparate views coming back, right? That, that, that agree, that don't agree, that take issue with one thing, that take issue with the opposite aspect of that thing. And it's 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 very interesting for me to actually see that feedback. But ultimately, all I have to do is tell the truth, right? To the best of my ability, it's quite a straightforward job. Um, you're in a different position. You've got in a position where you have to have, um, you have to have these discussions and settle on something that, that the party as a whole, a group is going to go forward with. Um, this seems to me to be very, potentially challenging. Um, I, I mean, I've, you will know more about the, the, the freedom movement, the freedom community than I do. I've interacted with them um, in some marches and, and some talks and things. Um, but what I've seen, as well as a lot of people doing, simply wonderful work. I mean, just tremendous, uh, courageous work and actually taking a message out on, and and highlighting something like vaccine harms and things like this, and it's it's they're doing it sensitively, they're doing it with courage, and I can't speak highly enough of them. But I've also seen a lot of division, a lot of uh, the potential for infighting and fallouts, and people not communicating but running around calling one another chills and traitors. You that that exists as well, right? So you've got this. Um, uh, you've got a lot of people who are, who are well motivated and want to do good things and you've, from what I've seen of the freedom movement, you've also got people who are, um, how would you describe it, however positive their motivation, the way it manifests itself is actually destructive and, and ultimately doesn't leave you any way forward that's actually useful. So you've got a lot to manage there. So maybe if, is there anything you'd like to say on that subject? How would you kind of bridge these divides? And, um, you know, you're talking about the freedom movement. You're talking about people who don't want to be bossed around, who don't want to be told what to do or what to think. That's the whole point. How do you take that group, possibly the hardest group of any 
uh, in the UK to actually get to coalesce around a manifesto or an organisation. How do you get them to say, yeah, um, we're on board with this? How do you bridge that, uh, that, that gap? It, it seems to me a really difficult job. Maybe I, I haven't been in the job that long, possibly, to, <laughs> to find uh, much in the difficulty of that. But what I do have to say is that the, the team that I'm currently working with are volunteers absolutely committed to making a difference in terms of encouraging and supporting and enabling those people who have been willing to step forward and actually do something that is that requires courage and that is fairly unpopular because if it was popular I think an awful lot more people would be doing it but people who've come forward and said yes we want to stand for election we are prepared to put our heads above the parapet. So the people that I've been working with supporting that to happen have been, as far as I'm concerned, people who've, who are doing that because they want to do it, not because there is recompense at the end of the day, but it's something that they recognise is going to benefit them, their families, and the people that they are supporting and representing. And that to me is a starting point. We can't afford to allow personality, ego, status to override the purpose. What, what are we, what, why have we come together? We've come together because there's creeping totalitarianism in our lives. And if we allow, um, uh, allow our ego or allow our perception of the way things should happen to overtake what we do and have that be the starting point, then we're going to run into trouble at some point. So for me, I, I see my role, at, at, certainly at present, is to bring people back together to the, to the, to the purpose and, 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 the, and the job at hand. And I, and I have to say that it's... Um, I guess maybe maturity. I've been on the earth for quite a while, so I'm. I kind of think about things before I react, and 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 the one thing that I must say is that I'm not dependent on any one individual to have all the answers, and I don't hero worship any particular person because they're doing a very good job. It's important to take on board that what's being done, but also to recognise that it's. It's us. It's, it's freedom. It's freedom for us. The same way those who are using their money to, in, to intervene in our lives and to implement destructive strategies, they're doing it together. They pull their monies together. Their institutions are funded by whatever it is they believe, by the money and the beliefs that they have. And we now need to have a similar outlook. And it might need putting aside some of those things that we hold dear and look at what is going to be better than what it is that we have descending on us. So, so that, that's, that's my perspective with regard to trying to hold things together. I see. Well, thank you very much for that. It was very interesting. Um, the um, what one more and I, I feel I'm giving you a hard time here because normally was it's because this is not the first time I've interviewed the, the Freedom Alliance. Normally, the first time it's just tell us about what you what you believe, and it's a very gentle interview. And I, I'm I'm pushing into things here much more than than that, largely because I'm very interested in in the answers. Um, and also, I think because there's so much overlap with what we, the UK column, have been doing and believe and I've been I've been talking about. So you know, it's it's, a, it's because it's close to home. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wonder if you could maybe say a little bit about is is freedom itself, uh, because it's it's a freedom alliance, and and that's that's fine. Um, there are more than what there's more than one definition of freedom out there. Um, I, I personally, I, 
I'm a Christian, I take a, 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 a biblical and scriptural worldview, and um, I see that freedom is freedom under the Lord, under the, the law of God, because there's, there's certain requirements for people to interact with one another. There's certain areas where you shouldn't go. Thou shalt not steal, for example. Um, and these are principles on which we should base a society. Um, and once those principles are established, freedom means whatever's not, not prohibited, you find your own way, you find your own path, more power to your elbow. Um, whereas other people will take the view of freedom as being breaking down some of the things that I would I would think is necessary for us for a, for a, for a free society, um, who might view um, sexual immorality, uh, the um, pornography, um, uh, drugs would be another one that is an area where that's where they see the forefront of freedom as lying. So it becomes. Is it, is it freedom from the law or freedom within the law? It, there's more than one nature of freedom. Ultimately, one of, the, one of the ideologies I would object to, I would oppose, is, is that um, um, do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law. Is that, that what, is that the person's will is absolute. Some people would define freedom in that way. So you've got the title in your party name. In these areas, there's, there, I don't know, there might, you might not have had any dispute, but have you looked at this as a, as a group to, to work out and define and test and prove exactly what you mean by freedom? Very good question, David. Um, and I will say, like you, I am a Christian. And I absolutely, without hesitancy, understand that my journey on earth is only possible by God's grace. And also, um, uh, I live my life as much, as much as I'm able, as guided by the laws of God. Um, now, I've, I have inherited... Uh, um, uh, uh, principles regarding freedom. Now, and uh, and I and I believe, as 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 we're told, that our membership model is to support equality, diversity, um, safe spaces for women and children, protection. The the whole do unto others as you would they do unto you. However, as you say, that th there will be views, but it's certainly not something that I have, I, I have had to. Um, we, we, it's, it's, it's not an area that we have people wanting to flout the laws and to do as they please within the party structure. So, uh, you know, thankfully, what, what we are about is about um, liberal democracy. It's about people being able to, to, to exercise their rights, their God-given rights within society, not to have, not, not to have our lives be uh, interfered with, with, with overarching state and, 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 and government and um, uh, local councils telling us that we must live within a certain parameter and if we don't, we're going to be fined. And we do not agree, we, we, will, we will fight back. So if, if those are the freedoms that are being violated, then absolutely, these are the things that we will stand up for. Um, so, so that for me is, is the defining definition of freedom. Anything else outside of that, that means harming others, that means um, uh, being fraudulent and corrupt in what we do, then we have a problem. That's, that, that's freedom to continue, then you need to find another party where that seems to be well established and well practiced. 
but it's not. Freedom Alliance is 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 um, is is is, is, is staffed, manned uh, politically, whatever, is um, is is run by volunteers. We we do not have big party donations, and in return, we have to do what what's required of us so it's a party to be it's a party where you where you are welcome to work with others to stand up for all our rights your um key principles the last one of those um reads as follows we are sovereign beings we care about humanity we want a future for our children and grandchildren which is full of joy hope and peace and one in which they can live freely and choose the life they want to live um, now, on, on one level, um, probably all political parties would subscribe to most of that, maybe not sovereign beings, that maybe, hope, that maybe makes you stand out a bit there. Um, on the other hand, I don't think many of the political parties would mean a word of it. Um, I don't see any mainstream political party genuinely fighting for children and grandchildren to have a, a life of joy, hope and peace. I, I, I just don't see that happening. Um, and I'm absolutely sure every political party would assure me I'm wrong. But I, I, I don't see that in their policies, in what they're actually doing at all. Um, nor is there any general political push for people to live freely and choose the life they want to live. It's becoming ever more constrained, and as you said, totalitarian. I think this is a correct observation. We are facing ever more severe and creeping totalitarianism. Um, we're probably six months to a year ahead in Scotland, and it's got so that we're now seeing laws being pushed um, to regulate um, what is said in private homes around your dinner table, because if you say the wrong thing and anyone reports you, then you're for the high jump because you can't, you can't speak beyond. Well, you can. You're allowed to think silently still. Mostly, if you're praying silently, you might get arrested. But if you're thinking silently, you might be able to get away with it. But any form of speech is now coming with danger, and this is not what I describe as joy, hope and peace. This is, the, this is the reverse. So although most of the political parties would give nominal agreement to that, I don't see any of them as actually um, having anything positive to actually bring to it. Um, what, what viewpoint, what belief system, what is the kind of core thing that makes, makes you and your uh, you, the people in your party um, stand out from the other, the, the mainstream political parties in this. You write that I, you know, I, I, I believe that you are genuine in what you're saying there. I'm, I'm quite happy to, to, to uh, think that you are genuine, partly because there's no benefit to you in being in this organisation. There's no, there's no power or monetary reward, really. Uh, it's only about the ideas and it's about the people. And I, and I understand that. Um, but looking at what you and your colleagues believe and looking at the mainstream political parties, could you pick out one or two um, underlying principles or underlying beliefs or underlying ideas that, that really set you apart? I think there's several. Um... We are very active in terms of working with our membership to, to really get involved in terms of what's happening locally. And as a res partly, I, I know certainly the nomination officers in, in the party have been working really closely with a number of the election candidates in terms of supporting them. I mean, we have 35, 35 or 36 candidates standing for election currently. Now, that wasn't the case um, when I 
came in as the as interim leader we we were emerging and kind of putting ourselves back together as a party and in in terms of what happens locally i think there's a real push to encourage and support people who have come forward and said no we don't want 15 minute cities we really that it, as an underlying principle we are not prepared to accept that and we will do whatever we need to do to make our voices heard and to hold our councils um, accountable for that and I'm, I'm thinking of one particular um, candidate and he has certainly impressed me in terms of what he's looking at it's been a long a long-standing issue of some corruption and fraudulent activity within the area and that's one of the areas that he's campaigning on so it's pe people really feel that when wrongs have been done and um, no one is being held to account no no um, interest is being shown uh, towards the people who've been harmed that this this is not acceptable it's outrageous and we once we know we can't unknow that and and and, and i'm thinking particularly of um people in the area that i live in and i have met oh quite a few who have been vaccine injured and my mp is just absolutely clear that it was a great thing what happened and uh, no acknowledgement of the harm that has been done to these individuals so it really it really is about saying look this is not on and you need to stand up and do something about that and make sure you represent us properly and when these things come on board in the council that you stand up for your constituents and 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 also make yourself informed because that's one of the things that i'm beginning to see that i don't think a lot of council members actually know what what's being proposed as you say they just do what they're told from on high and they have well whether they do or not i don't know but it doesn't seem that they know about the possible long-term effects and i think that's something that as a party we were willing to get behind and do something about it well that's very interesting because you said you said the two words that i've never found from the mainstream political um, avenue, which is let's talk about the people who are harmed, because the, the, these people just don't exist. They will talk about the terrible policies of the other party and the harm they're doing, and they'll they'll they'll, they'll use politically some segment of society to make their case. But when you're looking at people who are actually being harmed, harmed by the state, harmed by the organisations that we pay for, um, they don't want to know. And it's, it's very consistent and it doesn't, it doesn't matter which party you're talking about. They don't want to know. They will not talk about the people who are harmed. So more power to your elbow for doing that. Um, we are, we've been talking for most of an hour, so I, I, I should be thinking about about um, bringing this um, bringing this to a halt, to a close, your website um, talks about it being a home for the politically homeless. Your party, um, and there certainly are uh, ever more politically homeless people um, around. We've got um, we've got a situation where. The old division, left-right, was very much um, uh, Marxist, which was against property rights, versus capitalist, which was in favour of private property rights. And it was basically fought out in that area. It was principally economic. Um, there was broad agreement about what a healthy society looked like outside those economic terms. And whilst in there there was still a lot of deception and there was still a lot of corruption, um, there was enough shared values to 
have a society that would struggle along. And that's not really the case. You know, we've seen the attack, the cultural attack on the very underpinnings of a society. What's happened to marriage, what's happening to families, what's happening to children um, is manifestly dangerous and accelerating and also is something that we've never seen before, at least not in recorded British history. You know, we've not seen this sort of collapse of the basic institutions on which our society is founded. Um, so we're seeing ever more politically homeless people as a result. Um, could you maybe just finish by saying a wee, a wee bit to the, the politically homeless? What would you say to them, as someone watching this interview who feels abandoned by Conservative, by Labour, by Liberal Democrat, by all the rest, to say these people are all saying essentially the same thing and um, it doesn't resonate, I don't feel I'm represented. Uh, what would you say to them? I absolutely understand because I think that certainly was somewhere where I was and it wasn't until these really obvious um, tyrannical measures were being brought in that I thought, hold on a minute, that's about my life. Somebody is telling me that I must do what they say. Um, it's my body. And I just, I thought, where does an MP get to tell me what I do or don't do to my body? And even, even my doctor how dare he or she come and tell me that this is what I must do. It's a partnership. It's my body. We work together. So I, I, I really thought that something has to change. So if people are feeling politically homeless and feeling that they're not being represented by the mainstream parties, then they need to do something simply because it's a system we have. We are not a perfect party. We don't have all the answers. But what we do know is that we are committed to doing whatever it is we can to try and, and, and push back against these things that are happening and if it means speaking out and speaking loudly then we will support each other to do that and that for me was really important that I was able to meet with a group of people who were experiencing the same response to what was going on and they were willing to say okay I don't know what to do show me what to do and perhaps we will make a difference so I, I would just I would just encourage people to please vote go out and vote because any interruption any disruption to the system that is currently in place can only move us towards something different and hopefully something better so that's what I'd say Angela, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been lovely talking to you and uh, I want to thank you for handling all the awkward questions with such grace. And uh, until next time, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.